We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Keeping it going. Super Bowl week. You missed Wednesday's show? Shame on you! Go back and click on that after you watch this or open them up at the same time. Some people put their podcasts on like two times speed, but the real move, the real key to all of this is just playing two at once and absorbing all of that information, whether you're conscious of the information or not. I actually recommend not doing that. However, there's a DraftKings Millionaire Maker Showdown slate this weekend. It is $10 to play. There's a million dollars for top price. There's also a slew of other showdown contests, too, and we'll get into that in a second. But if you think you're going to lose that but want to play it anyway, but you want to recoup some of your funds, I got two ways to do so. One, you want to get into a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars. Smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and tell me who you will be choosing as your capitan. El Capitan for your showdown team in the Super Bowl. The other way to do so for 100 DraftKings dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you enjoy about this show, and you'll be in the draw for 100 DraftKings dollars. Winners announced on Monday's Pat Mayo Experience. Joining me to break it all down for this weekend, the king of DraftKings showdown from DailyRoto.com. And if you use the promo code the PME, you get yourself a discount. It's Colin Drew. What's going on? Not too much. You guys are doing it big for the showdown this Super Bowl. You got the the millionaire maker, and then you got the 5K millionaire maker too. So you get, you get two ways to win a million bucks. It's pretty amazing. I, I don't know if people are going to be like all, all aboard the, the 5K millionaire maker, <laughs> at least the people who watch this show. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I was hoping to win a ticket to that, but I haven't done it yet. So I'll be out unless I uh, have a few too many beverages watching okay. the Phoenix okay. Open. Qu- question about this. Why do you need to win a ticket? Can't you just like, you should have to pay double to enter these fucking contests. <laughs> I'm a nit though. Yeah, I, I grind it up through the three max. And so I'm sticking to the $10 price point. A lot of my strategy is MME related. I've never really tried it at single entry. 
Not sure how it would go over at the high-stakes single entry, but I bet Mike Leone will probably toss one in there. He's a little bit more degen than I am. So let's talk about that right off the hop then, because obviously you have a better chance of winning the million dollars if you play in the higher stake single entry contest versus the mass multi-entry $10 contest. If I only want to construct one lineup, of course I'm going to throw it in the $10, that's fine. I expect to lose because I'm playing against guys like you who are going to throw in 150 and it's not just you, it's basically everyone. If you have the Daily Roto product, it makes it so easy that, you know, maybe I will throw in 150 I don't know. Probably not. I'm not great at showdown, but this is why I need to know this. Should I just be playing single entry mainly if I go up in price? Like you play the $10, that's fun. You can win a million dollars. It's like playing the $5 in golf or the $3 or even the $20 millionaire maker on a regular football slate. But if I'm serious about winning some cash and I only want to make, let's say, one, two, or three lineups, should I stick to three max and single entries instead of these giant GPPs where the payout is outrageous? I think so. I think that's probably the right way to go, um, especially when you start thinking about how many duplicates there are in those contests and trying to construct the best roster. If you're hand building something, I think a lot of your biases are going to lead towards something that is more suitable for single entry or three max. And that's definitely the right way to go. Yeah. And like my expectation for this, if I was going to win something like, yes, winning a million dollars would be not only life changing, but nearly impossible for me. Because like I said, not very good at this, but to take down like a single entry, that's even a $12 or a $15 or $20. Like if I get like 8k back, it's funny that people don't think that's a great prize for a contest until you win it. You're like, Oh shit, eight grand. This is fantastic. I put in 20 bucks, that kind of thing. Because someone else won a million dollars, you feel inadequate because of it. You shouldn't shy away from these things. I feel like the real money to be made, the most success that I've really ever had on a consistent basis is in these types of tournaments. Yeah, and that's definitely true. That's kind of how I built my bankroll throughout the years was through the single entry and three max contests and kind of grinding it up through there and then hoping that eventually you you catch a break along the way and hit a huge prize. So I think the three max stuff is the way to go. And contest selection is really important. Um, during one of the DraftKings tournaments on the conference championship weekend, if I had not entered the millionaire maker and had entered the secondary millionaire maker, whatever it was, it was like 100K to first for that one. Um, I, like I would have won 25k instead I lost like a thousand dollars on the slate. Just same exact lineups if I put them into the slightly smaller contest that was still lottery style. And that just shows you in those large fields, you really do need almost the perfect lineup. And for this millionaire maker showdown contest, I think you are going to need the perfect lineup to to cash in on that prize. And it's still going to be very likely that you're chopping it up with a few other users. Now, that's okay. If you chop up a million dollars with a few other users, I think you'd it's take pretty that. Good. I think you'd take that. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, you, that's happened to you a few times in the hundred. Like, what is it normally? Is it $100,000 to the winner on, like, the regular, or is it a million? It's, like, 250K, I think, is a lot of them. And then it might be, like, uh, 50K to a second. So when you start chopping up, maybe you have, like, five people tie, but you're, you're getting, like, the first through fifth prizes, too. So um, I've chopped a few different ones, and they've still managed to be six-figure prizes, which is pretty awesome. And then... I've had some other ones that were much bigger chops and it might take it down to like a 10 or 20 K, but still that's, that's pretty awesome for a $1,500 investment as well. So um, we had a great podcast with the guy who won last year's DraftKings Millionaire Maker at the Super Bowl, uh, this guy, Brian Jester, and he goes really hard at trying to find a unique lineup to solo win everything. That's not my strategy. When I play these, I, I want to avoid some duplicates, but I'm not always trying to find the solo winner and he does go hard at that. So I thought it was pretty interesting just to hear the different strategies if you're going for like solo first first you're just trying to make a good lineup that can finish first and you're okay chopping with like 5 10 or even 20 users 
Since you've had two weeks to work on this over at Daily Roto, can you explain the process that goes into the projections, what you're doing as it pertains to the showdown slate, and what Leone is doing in terms of projections? Yeah, so we have fantasy projections up at Daily Roto. We you know, produce them for every slate, for every game throughout the NFL season. So that's kind of the first step is getting those up there. And the biggest things for us, we're trying to refresh the market shares based on what we saw in the divisional round and conference championship for the teams. And then specifically with the 49ers, one of the biggest things is trying to understand, you know, with the Tevin Coleman injury and if he's going to be back healthy for the Super Bowl, how will the workload split up between Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, what will Jeff Wilson be active, things like that going to the projections. So that's kind of the first step. And we did that more or less the day after those conference championship games ended. And then this past week, Mike simulated this Super Bowl showdown slate on DraftKings. So we ran like 30,000 simulations of the lineups and tried to identify what percentage of the time players were appearing in the winning lineups, both at the flex position and at the captain position. And he wrote up a big analysis for that at Daily Roto for our subscribers, which is pretty awesome. And then um, I combined that with ownership projections for the Super Bowl showdown slate. We don't always offer these for a showdown, but given the big prize pools, we wanted to do that. So trying to identify what we expect each player's ownership to be both at captain and the flex and then help people make strategic decisions on you know, where they want to just build the best lineup versus uh, potentially trying to get leverage on the field. Well, let's start with that. When I'm constructing my DraftKings showdown lineup, what sort of thought should I put into captain versus flex? Are there certain rules, especially for a game like this? And let's say you are playing in that giant $10. Are there players you want to avoid simply because if they hit as the captain, you're going to need the nuts five other guys? Is it better to reroute yourself and take a lower owned captain? And if that hits, it gives you a bit more to play with in the margin of error. Yeah, and that definitely depends on your goals as a DFS player. I know you mentioned you don't care if you lose that $10. Somebody else might want like the min cash with the upside if they hit, and then you're just trying to play the best captain. But I do think if you're just playing one lineup and you don't really care about the $10, you're just trying to go for the home run, that trying to differentiate the captain spot is a really good way to go. One of the best weeks that I had this year was in the Tampa Bay Bucks game against the Carolina Panthers, and it was a game where Christian McCaffrey was 30% owned at the captain slot and there were still great captains that you could have with Godwin, Evans, Jameis that were uh, like 10% or even less than that. And such a high percentage of the field played McCaffrey. And then an even higher percentage played him in flex. I think it was like 80% had him in flex. And so fading McCaffrey there allowed me to capture like a six-figure score with a, a pretty good team. Um, and you could see something similar happen with Patrick Mahomes where his ownership approaches those levels. And it's a really dangerous fade. It's one that I, I'm not sure I can stomach across 150 lineups, but I think in a single bullet, it might be a good way to go. So when we try to play this out and construct a showdown lineup, one thing I've really learned from you is try to tell a story with your lineup. How do all six pieces intertwine with one another to get you the most expected points? So the way that I would think about this and just who I've talked to is that people seem to be pretty split on the game. Kansas City's going to win. The Niners are going to win. That's fine. But everyone seems to agree it's going to be a high-scoring game. I see very few people saying that this game is going to go a lot like last year's Super Bowl. So if we rewind to last year's Super Bowl and you look at the showdown lineup for that, what did that teach you about low-scoring games on a showdown slate? Yeah, so in the Super Bowl last year had a similar over-under as well. So it was expected to be a high-scoring game between the Rams and the Patriots. And um, it shows you that when things break dramatically different than expected, that you don't need the 
the perfect lineup to win anymore and that you can find unique lineups that uh, nobody else is on. And I think it was shocking to see a, a solo winner last year, but because the game went so different from game script, uh, that is the scenario where that can happen. So you could potentially, if you're going for the solo win, just think about a game script that goes way under the total and what that means. And one of the things that meant last year was that one of the rules that I focus on a lot of times is, which is if you're pairing a wide receiver at the captain position, pair him up with the quarterback from his team. But I think last year we saw Edelman as the winning captain with no Brady. And then I think both Patriots running backs in there because quarterbacks rely so much on those touchdowns for their fantasy points. And so in a low scoring game without a lot of yardage, the quarterbacks themselves aren't going to be that valuable. If you were playing, let's say, fewer than 10 lineups, do you think that not having either quarterback as your captain would be the prudent move just to try to off the hop differentiate yourself a little bit? Now, you can probably still use them as a flex, but have someone else highlighted as your captain. So I think generally across like a blanket rule across all showdown formats heading into this year was I do think quarterbacks were being over owned at the captain position and um, maybe under owned at the flex position and wide receivers. It was kind of the opposite. They were being under owned at captain. So um, one of the things going to this year I wanted to focus on was playing wide receivers and tight ends at captain more and maybe avoiding quarterbacks, even though they're good plays, they might be over owned. Um, I think that's probably going to be the case with Mahomes, for example, uh, I think given his price, I think his ability and the connection that like whenever Mahomes has a big game, usually one of Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey is also having a big game or Sammy Watkins. And so um, I think Mahomes may be overowned at captain compared to like Hill and Kelsey. I, I'm not sure the same thing is going to happen with the 49ers just because so much of the public sentiment and talking points for the past two ye- weeks have been like what Mostert did in the conference championship, how run heavy the offense has been in general. So I actually think it could be a situation where like Jimmy G might actually be low owned at the captain position and offer some leverage. Um, So right now I've got him at like 6% captain ownership. And typically we see quarterbacks at like, you know, 12% or so. And what do you have Mahomes projected for right now as captain? Uh, Right now we have Mahomes projected for 15% captain and 62% in the flex. Do you think that maybe you're even lowballing that number, not anticipating what sort of public action they may get in this tournament? Yeah, I think that's possible. I, I modeled it kind of off of what we saw in the conference championship and divisional round. So if it becomes a way more public DFS contest and people are clicking in the best names, I think that's probably true. The other thing that was pretty surprising, and people ask a lot about whether or not I think there's an edge in showdown. Like I've definitely got lucky in showdown with the success that I've had, but there is still a pretty big edge. And I think it was like 30 or 35% of the lineups in the conference championship that played Mahomes a captain didn't pair him up with a single receiver tight end from his team. And to me, that's a huge mistake that people made. Like if, if Mahomes is at his price tag, it's going to be so good that he's the captain. It's extremely unlikely that he's not going to carry some receivers along with him. And so um, that's why I, I remain kind of committed to showdown. I think there is a good edge in this game, obviously really high variance for the Super Bowl given the contest size, but I'm excited to play that doesn't even make any sense to me that people would use Mahomes and not have Hill, Kelsey, Watkins, or whoever coming along board with them. It like, doesn't make any sense. How, how do people construct a lot of like who who was that? Who else were on these teams? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess they wanted like Mahomes and Derrick Henry, for example, and and so like because those were the highest profile players in that game, and then maybe once you spend all that salary, there there are a lot of people that play like two defense in the same lineups and um, things like that that if the game goes according to the, like a normal game script, rarely end up in the winning lineups. And it was pretty bizarre. I was, I mean, I was very surprised. 
So how often do we see like the Blake Bells of the world end up in a winning lineup? Because there's always that path too, where you have like the $400 player, they score a touchdown and it allows you to jam in the five other like really good guys that you can use. And that seems to be, oh, from people I talk to, they like to try that out with a few different lineups. But it seems like that'd probably be not only very high variance because you need to actually nail the guy who's super cheap, but then a lot of the times that just doesn't happen. Yeah. So the first piece, nailing the guy is super cheap. It's it's obviously hard to to do that or to get a big game out of him if you're building like one lineup. If you're building across a portfolio, even like 10 lineups, I do think the Blake Bells should be in at least one of those. The analysis that Mike did shows that Blake Bell himself appears in the winning lineup about 12% of the time. And it's not that you need a big game out of Blake Bell. If the expensive guys all produce high fantasy outputs, then you need a punt in there to fit them in there. And so a lot of times like, for these punt players, you're just needing them to outscore the other punts. In some cases, that might be one catch for eight yards or two for 22. And that's what you're looking for is not a touchdown, which was was great when he got it that one week, but just like to outscore the other guys that are cheap because you fit in the guys that put up the big points. So if we actually transition into picks for your showdown roster and we start with, let's say, punts and we go down to the bottom, Nicole Hardman, $2,200, appears to me just just by scanning all the names, like he will be the standout player from that range. And it makes a lot of sense because generally if he's going to score, it's either going to be special teams or he's going to score a really long touchdown because of the speed. But I also see Demarcus Robinson at $2,600 as a flex play. I would be more inclined to go with Demarcus Robinson because A, I think that he would be lower owned and B, he plays the red zone packages where Hardman does not. You'll get more bang for your buck with Hardman if he does score, but I feel like Robinson is just far more likely to score yeah i think i agree with you there and um we have hardman is a slightly better play just on projection because i do believe for the first time in uh, many games last week he had ran more routes than robinson but it's certainly at least a coin flip and I, I think as to which guy outscores the other player and right now robinson i've got projected for much lower ownership than hardman like 10 percent for um robinson 20 to 25% for Hardman. And at, at that level, if I'm flipping a coin and I can just take the lower owned guy, then I think that's the right way to go. It also gives you more of a path um, just to having a unique lineup. And I, I think it's hard to say just because my gut says the same things for Hardman, like more talented, bigger playability. But uh, looking at the data, it just it feels like in a single lineup that Robinson is the better play. Yeah, like if you told me that one of them scored 40 points on this slate, the answer would probably be Hardman. And maybe that's the upside that you want to shoot for if you want to win the overall crown. But if so many people have them, like it, Demarcus Robinson isn't immune to having like a three for 14 and two touchdown day. Like that's not sexy, but that's going to score you some fantasy points. Yeah, and he he doesn't even need to do anything that big. Like if if the game breaks the right way, he just has to outscore Hardman and the guys that are cheaper than him. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Hardman puts up a donut or one for 13 line and Robinson puts up a four for 30 or, or three for 25. And that might be good enough. I think sometimes people get scared clicking in the uncomfortable names. So like if I had to look at my short lineups throughout the year, I am usually underweight on the good players and overweight on the bad players. And I think that that's worked out well for me because when those bad plays come through, you're generating a pretty unique bill. If you play Hardman, do you think it's worthwhile to use the Kansas City defense along with him at least some of the time for a potential kickoff return correlation? Um, 
that's not something that I bake into the rules. I build a lot of groups and rules for my lineups for showdown. And usually I don't focus on the DST and special teams correlation. Um, if it happens, it might happen on some lineups naturally. I'd be fine with it, but I don't think it's something that you have to do. So of all of the other punts, let's say something like Jeff Wilson is somehow active for this game at $1,000. Do you immediately jam him in? Probably not a jam. Um, I guess with him specifically, it would depend on Tevin Coleman. Like if they've got four running backs active, then playing the fourth one isn't something I'll typically do. Uh, I would probably still have a little bit of exposure to Brita in that scenario. But if Coleman, for some reason, was not active and Jeff Wilson was playing, especially on late news that happened like 90 minutes before the Super Bowl, then that is definitely a situation where most of the field will have entered the tournament already. The vast majority of those people are definitely not going to go back and edit their lineups. And so responding to late news, I think, is good. And if Wilson was active as the third back, he's definitely a guy that I would think would hit like 5% of my lineups or, or something like that. And that's probably a guy that would be owned by 1% or, or less of the field. So I'm just trying to find like the other potential punt plays from down here. I guess like Dante Pettis is a super cheap price, but he played 0% of the snaps in the conference championship game. So I don't know how much run he's going to get in the Super Bowl, but I would think that because Ross Dwelly had that big moment while Kittle was hurt, he'd draw more interest than someone than, let's say, like Levine Toilolo, who actually plays more snaps. Are those guys potentially in play? Like is, Ty- is Toilolo like the Blake Bell of the 49ers? Mike, when he did his analysis, like he was finding a lot of these guys ending up in like uh, five to 10% of optimal lineups, which seems like a lot, but it was just because the expensive guys that front Kansas city that you want um, to fit into the lineups and how diverse the San Francisco offense is. So I do think that some of these punts like across a, a 20 max build, like you, you want to mix in like one share of each of these guys, because it is pretty likely that at least one of these guys ends up on the winning lineup. Um, for me, I don't have like a strong preference, whether it's Darwin Thompson or Kyle Juszczyk or Rust Welly. Like I, I can't go out on like a limb. I guess Blake Bell would be the guy I'm most comfortable with just because the Chiefs are going to be passing the ball typically more in the red zone than the 49ers will. Um, but all those guys are the types of guys that I think end up winning, you know, showdown contests for a lot of people. So if we go to the very top of the pricing, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes is the most expensive player on the board. He comes in at $12,600 as a flex, almost $19,000 as your captain. That's going to really draw a lot of your resources towards your overall salary cap. So let's pretend like we're not going to use him as our captain. Then we can go down. You have Hill, Damian Williams, Kelsey is the next three options, all Chiefs. Then you get into Mostart, Kittle, Garoppolo, Debo, then Sammy Watkins, then Tevin Coleman. Uh, Her- uh, Manuel Sanders at $5,200 as a flex is right after that. What do you think is realistically the move here? Like I had mentioned that low-scoring game off the hop. Would that include running backs, potentially a tight end that you hope, or like an Emmanuel Sanders type, a defense in the kickers? Like, is that a way to go and leave a whole bunch of money on the table? Or is it make Kelsey your captain, put Mahomes in as a flex, bring it back with Garoppolo and try to find the low own piece of the 49ers, which could be like Emmanuel Sanders, because it doesn't seem like he's getting a whole lot of love, plus he's cheap. The way I usually build is within like a standard deviation, one like under or over the total. And because of that, even if this game goes a little bit lower than expected, there's still going to be points scored. So um, I would still probably lean with someone like a Kelsey or Kittle in a single entry build. Those would be um, some of the guys I would be interested in at a captain position. And because I think touchdowns will be scored, I would pair them up with their respective quarterbacks. 
I think what you saw last year was a game going like two or three or four standard deviations below the total. And that's when weird stuff happens. So I think then you're starting to look at those wide receivers who can rack up the PPR points um, or the running backs that are involved in the passing game. So maybe Damian fits into that mix a little bit. But in that scenario, if you're building for this super unique build, I, I think like multiple standard deviations to the under, then you can go with like a wide receiver tight end captain. You don't have to play the quarterback with them. You can fit in a D from maybe that that um, respective captain's team and one of the kickers, and you kind of have it built that way. And those those builds are going to be very low owned um, this week. I don't know if I have the the cojones to do it, but I definitely think if you were going to find a unique winner, a solo millionaire winner, that would be the type of build that would lead to it. I see you've projected McCole Hardman somewhere in the mid 20s in terms of ownership percentages. We talked about Demarcus Robinson hovering around 10%. What about Kendrick Bourne at $3,400 as someone who's popped up over the past few weeks uh, and is an alternative in that 49ers offense? And sort of like Demarcus Robinson, we know that he's generally going to be used in the red zone packages. Yeah, he's been fairly owned as a punt in these 49ers games. I think the Chiefs guys could draw a little bit uh, off of him. But one of the things is if people are trying to jam in expensive Chiefs and you have to play one player from both teams on your lineup. So if you went with like a Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill type build, then you've got to play 49ers in those. You're not going to be able to fit an expensive one. So a lot of those builds are going to lead to Kendrick Bourne ownership. I've got him at um, 10%. So like right around the same level as Robinson, not quite as hard as Hardman. And we have him as one of the better leverage plays on the slate too. Uh, generally, I would say one of the things like we're higher on the, the 49ers passing game than I think the public perception is. And so I, I see that as like areas that we'll probably end up with overweight positions relative to the field. So if that's the case and you want to take the contrarian side of that game, the passing side of the 49ers, how many players is too many players, generally speaking, to put into your showdown roster? So if you make, I don't know, Kittle your captain, you have Garoppolo paired with him. Are you good there, or do you add in a Debo, a Bourne, or an Emmanuel Sanders to go along with them? Yeah, I would. I kind of just let it ride. Um, I only force in one player, so I would force in like the quarterback in that scenario, and kind of let the rest shake out where it does. Uh, you do oftentimes see like these five-one onslaughts end up as the winning lineups if if San Francisco is able to get ahead and control the clock, and their defense is able to stop the Chiefs. Um, you do see 5-1 onslaughts win a disproportionate amount of the time compared to how the field plays them. Maybe that's not always in a game with a high total and a coin flip and a really good Chiefs offense. So maybe it's less likely here. But I think because of that, like that type of thing is also not going to be played very much. So um, the 5-1 onslaughts one way or the other, I think, are some of the other ways that you end up with pretty unique builds. Uh, if you're playing for overall upside because the 49ers backs don't have the pass catching prowess like someone... Like Damian Williams, his presence within the Chiefs offense is, you know, a rushing and receiving role, even near the goal line. We don't really see that from the 49ers, especially when it comes to actual touchdowns. They don't really throw to their backs near the goal line nearly as much as Kansas City does. So if you were to build that Garoppolo stack with the receivers, does that mean there'd be no running backs from the 49ers in it? Or would you still mix those guys in? Um, that's another situation where I, well, I guess as far as the stack rules, I'd probably want to focus on guys that have like a high mark share of the team's targets. So for the guys that'd be trying to force into the lineups with Garoppolo, I'd be looking at Kittle. I'd be looking at, um, uh, Manny and I'd be looking at Debo as those, as like the, the primary guys. And then 
I would still let it ride with the running backs. So if I ended up with like a Jimmy G stack twice with two of those guys and you fit in a Mostert or a Tevin Coleman type player, then I'd still be fine with that. But I, I wouldn't probably include the um, four damage backs in like the pass catching groups that I'm forcing with Jimmy G, if that makes sense. I know it does. So as it pertains to captains, if we're not using Mahomes, who do you expect to be the next highest owned captain? Would it be Kelsey or Kittle? Uh, so I've got it pretty close right now between Kittle, Kelsey, and then Tyreek Hill. I, I think that like my gut says that Kittle or Kelsey would be the guy just because Hill's kind of squeezed up in price a little bit closer to Mahomes than he has been in previous slates. Um, but you typically do see Kittle is almost always the the highest owned 49ers guy. Maybe that changes a little bit with public perception off of the, the most or big game. Um, so I guess cir- circular answer there, but I, I guess Kelsey, if I had to choose one. Yeah, I would think that Kelsey and Kittle will be pretty close, but only because they're so much cheaper than Tyree Kill. Like if you make Tyree Kill your captain, you're still allocating a lot of your salary cap overall to one player. And I think that people feel just as good about Kelsey or Kittle as like a public perception type play. Plus, then you can afford better players into your lineup. So is there a yeah. chance that Hill squeaks through as potentially a lot lower owned as a captain as maybe you think? I, th- I think what happens, my gut is that what happens is he's still right around that 10% at captain, but he's substantially lower owned at the flex position than Kelsey or Kittle is. So uh, like the split between Hill's ownership at captain and flex is a little bit greater. Uh, so I've, I I think that would be my guess is he ends up like 10% at captain, 30% at flex, whereas someone like Kelsey might be like 10% captain, like 45% at flex. So I'm thinking now that we've talked this through, if I want to make a relatively unique lineup um, that ends up going really well for me and maybe differentiates myself but still has the upside to do it, that either I use Jimmy G or potentially Damian Williams as my captain and build out a Kansas City rushing San Francisco passing type game is the story that I kind of want to tell myself. And maybe that separates me from the bunch. Yeah, I think that would. Damien's one of the guys. We, we're always a little high on Damien relative to the market, but he's one of the guys that has pretty good leverage numbers um, at the captain position. I guess the other way, if I was only hand building one lineup, the two of the guys that I think offer pretty good leverage are Debo Samuel and Jimmy G. So um, if if maybe Hill's going to be low owned at flex, but high owned at captain, potentially like a hand built lineup, I would consider would be like Jimmy G captain double stacked with Debo and Kittle and then bring it back with Hill on that team and then just find, you know, whatever I need to do with the punts and salary relief from there. So the next thing I wanted to kind of get at is what sort of leverage do you think that you can have, especially in this specific contest for this specific game for first half showdown and more specifically second half showdown? Do you think those are going to be soft contests? Um. It- the first half showdown, I'm not sure. I actually, to be honest, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I know the second half stuff is, is pretty big, and usually they run some big contests for that. And Oh, no, I you know what? Think... I, you know what? You're right. There is no first half. It's second half showdown and fourth quarter showdown. Oh, fourth quarter. Yeah. So one of the best things about the Daily Roto projections is that they're fully customizable. So in the games box at the top of the projections, you can tweak the score. So at, at halftime, you could input the second half lines from DK Sportsbook. And that'll flow through. That'll impact, you know, the the projection for the individual players. You can also adjust the plays based on who's getting the kick. And nobody is really going to put in the work to do that. So if you're somebody that really wants an edge, like one of the ways you could play showdown is not play the full games showdown and just focus on the second half. Um, I'll realistically probably play both because I do think the lion's share people aren't going to put in the work. And 
if you see weird things happening on the field or you see injuries to any of the skill position players, uh, a lot of people, maybe they'll know enough not to plug those guys in, but they're not going to go through and customize projections for like the backup tight ends and those scenarios. So um, if you see like weird game scripts happen, then I think that can create edge. If you see injuries happen, I think that can create a lot of edge. The game script thing too, like if San Francisco's out by two touchdowns and they get the ball to start the second half, you know they're going to be run heavy. Whereas if they're down two touchdowns and they get the ball, you know they're going to pass more. So all that stuff I think creates an edge. I do too. And I don't think that I, I don't think enough people will take that in consideration. I found this out. I mean, the positive way uh, in a PGA event last week uh, at the farmer's insurance open is that anyone who knew about an edge just played players from the North course over the South course because they were split courses the first two days. But I want a bunch on showdown because I figured like a hundred percent of people would just be playing people from the North course, but they didn't. It was only like 30% of people who did it. So then you're just, you're only competing with 30% of the field. It gives you a much better chance of winning. Yeah, absolutely. And for the most part, the people who are entering that second half contest are, you know, they're going to be a few beers deep. They're going to be food coma, just entering things from their phone. And I I think whenever you're able to to do things in a smarter way, uh, it's going to create a lot of edge. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Some, I mean, sometimes after grinding like three showdown slates in a week, I don't have the heart to do the second half, but for the Super Bowl, it's been two weeks, so we got to do it. And there's some very good contests, at least. I mean, the $10 contest overall, if you want to play in it for the entire game showdown, has a million dollar first prize. The second half one um, only has 23,000 people in it, but it's a $50,000 first prize. And I think the edge in that one is going to be significantly better. Plus, you have to beat fewer people in order to win that money. And if you go to dailyroto.com and use the promo code PME, they have the system and the projections to make this really easy on yourself. If you look at the fourth quarter one, like there's another one that only has 5,800 people in it. It's a $10 contest as well, and it's 15000 a first prize. So I think the actual edge in the showdown might be in those contests if you want to commit to playing them. I agree. The fourth quarter one is really interesting too because you're going to be under the gun as the clock's running out in the third quarter and the commercial breaks are coming up to set your rosters. But there's so much that happens at the end of a quarter that can impact things like, you know, the, the team has the ball and they're driving and they're on the 20-yard line and it's third and 16, like it's going to be pretty obvious that to start the fourth quarter, the kicker is going to get points. And so that stuff, you're all going to have to react to pretty fast in an optimizer, but it creates really big edges. And so um, I think that's a pretty interesting angle. And I do agree that if you're willing to put in the work and you've kind of got a process laid out that the second half and the fourth quarter should be really good game environments for sharp DFS players. Anything else you want to hit on showdown wise before we get out of here, anything you've learned from someone who won a million dollars playing it. I mean, people can go listen to the daily Roto podcast, but you know, anything you want to share with us and my listeners. Well, I, I think just the way that Brian thinks about creating unique lineups and going for the solo win was pretty interesting to see a lot of times, you know, he thinks along that same mindset. If this game goes completely not according to plan, how can I put in a lineup that might be able to win it? And uh, that almost, flies directly in the face of a lot of what I do, which is trying to create smart correlations if the game goes like mostly according to plan. I think some of the other simple ways to try to create more unique lineups is just small things like leaving salary on the table. You do see like 70, 80% of people build within $200 of the salary cap. So um, I think that's another way that people can, you know, create a, a decent size edge for themselves and show down without a lot of work. 
I guess the other thing too, and I'd be curious to get your take on this, is that most people, when they run their projections, like even when I use Daily Roto, I crank up the projection median from 50% to like 90% outcomes. And if I do, I see outliers in that sense, just because that's going to have the most upside for me. But I know that a lot of other people are doing that. And when people play showdown, it's almost like they anticipate the overhitting. So if let's say 85% of people who enter a showdown contest are all playing it with that mindset, like, oh, I need to score as many points as possible, which truly, you know, is going to win you the money if you score the most points. It's very logical. It's like the team that scores the most points, they're going to win. Well, thanks for that. But if 85% of people are doing things one way and trying to get to that optimal lineup, they're going to fall on a lot of the exact same combinations or at least very close to the same combinations every single time because you know what positions score the most points. So I'd be curious that although the hit rate would be a lot less for taking the contrarian strategy to play something like three standard deviations below what a total would actually be, because no one else is doing that, does that give you a significant edge even if it takes a longer time to realize your money? I think, I mean, if Brian's won a million dollars, I haven't got to a million dollars in showdown yet. So I guess you could say there, um, I think I don't have like the mental fortitude to do that for like 50 slates in a row and lose 50 K and I'd start to question the whole process. But I do think that probably there's a lot of merit to actually taking that approach if you're willing to, to do it. Um, I guess the, the other thing that I've changed a little bit in the past, I used to create a lot of blanket rules um, for like not playing two running backs for the same team, for an example. And you know, one of the things you asked about learnings over the past year, I've realized that a lot of times the winning lineups do end up with two running backs from the same team because if teams get ahead by, you know, multiple touchdowns, they're going to run the ball more. And teams that have committees, they might run the ball 30 or 35 times in those types of games. So I used to group out things like, or players like Mostert and Coleman, and I wouldn't play any lineups that have the two of them. I still try to create negative boost rules in the Daily Roto Optimizer to kind of reduce the number of times that I have those two players together. But I do think it's plausible that both Mostert and Coleman could end up on a winning team. And and most players are not going to do that, especially since, you know, Coleman got hurt and left the game early and nobody really knows what his workload is going to be. But it's in the range of outcomes that the 49ers do win this game and that they do deploy the same run heavy approach that we saw in the, the Packers and both those guys end up in the winning lineup. So that's one of the areas I think I've gotten a little bit better this year compared to when we did the show last year. When you are creating a rule like that, does it have to be team specific? Cause I doubt you would have a similar rule with Kansas city running backs, knowing that there's almost no game script where you know, LaShawn McCoy gets in or Darwin Thompson, unless it's some sort of fluke play ends up finding the end zone or being valuable whatsoever, but knowing the splits between the San Francisco running backs, that that would apply to them. Exactly. And so I try to look at what the correlations for individual teams are in, in games where those players played together. So, um, and you can create the negative boost rules like that. So you could create a, a lineup in the data road optimizer that says like, if most starts your captain, then negatively boost Coleman's projection by 20% in any runs. And you could do a different rule for uh, Damien, where it was a bigger negative boost for the, the running backs on KC. So it is definitely team specific. And I think that's um, an important consideration as well. Uh, Last thing. I heard a very smart guy say this one. Should I be starting Matt Moore as my captain and hoping for a Mahomes injury? (laughs) (laughs) I typically don't do that. I guess if you're ever going to do it, it's in the million dollars, but no, um, no, no siege stacks for me. Uh, I do think some of the running backs you can squeeze in there a little bit more because 
they might be viable, not just in an injury, but just if a guy busts off a long run and gets spelled at the goal line. So, um, you know, whoever ends up as the backup running back for Kansas City, I don't know if Shady will be active or not. Uh, I think it's always possible that, you know, the running back position, you end up with a guy who kind of falls into the end zone. I'd rather take my like 0% owned backup stab at the running back position than I would anywhere else. I kind of hope that happens. And I hope if it does happen, Siege wins the million bucks. That would just be <laughs> pure entertainment. And yeah, I like Siege. So I'd like to see him win a million bucks. <laughs> it would be good. Yeah. So give me a, give me a prediction for the game. What do you got? So I, the I think the game's going to go fairly according to the Vegas script. Um, if anything, I feel like it might go a little bit under the total, but I don't see it being like kept in like below 40 points. So I think there's going to be plenty of fantasy scoring and I would go with like a 27, 24 Chiefs win. Chiefs win. So you and I are on the same page. We're opposite cuss. So that's good news. That is good. That's great news. Although he said that the spread, he guaranteed it will not matter for San Francisco. So Chiefs by one is probably the one. way you want to play this game. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. 30-29 Chiefs. And then Tim loses everything. <laughs> Although you can get, as I found out, you can get, I think it's like 22 to one on a one point win for the Chiefs. So maybe you do that. Just play, play into the Ander curse. That's pretty interesting. I was reading some stuff, I guess, like, this year with the field goals moving back, I guess like in a quarter of the game, someone misses a field goal. So that's maybe, a you know, that's the recipe you need for that one point uh, death to the cusp. Yeah, well, you have progressive thinking from Kyle Shanahan and the who knows what's going on with Andy Reid towards the last two minutes of half. So God knows what they're going to do. <laughs> the Andy Reid handicapping is going to make it a, re- a real wild card, especially as you're trying to play those uh, fourth quarter showdown slates. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, Colin Drew. Tell everyone what's going on at Daily Roto for the Super Bowl, everything you got going on, and stuff beyond that right now for the year. Yeah, check us over at Daily Roto for the Super Bowl. We've got Mike Leone's simulations. So he simulated the Super Bowl like 20 or 30,000 times. Got probabilities of every player ending up in the winning lineup and their probability of ending up as a winning captain. Got the ownership projections. And then the optimizer. Honestly, if you are playing second half or fourth quarter showdown or you're interested in that, I guarantee the way our projections are set up, provide a really big edge for that and you can use the code the pme to save 10 percent off uh the rest of the year i mean we've got baseball and golf rolling right uh, golf rolling right now baseball coming up so plenty of really good stuff but um i think we're in a great place for a showdown especially for the super bowl so if you're looking to to play more than you know 500 bucks i definitely think it's it's something where using the other road can add a lot of value to your dfs play well, I, I don't usually like to give Leone much credit, but he did predict Edelman 33 to one Super Bowl MVP last year. So maybe I should have listened to him as it turns out. Yeah, ended up pretty good. Then he, he fired off some hot takes for this year as well. Um, like 80 to one on the D guys for MVP. I don't see those happening, but Damian 25 to one, maybe that's his Edelman call this year. All right, hopefully so. I mean, I got Demarcus Robinson 33 to one his first touchdown, but yeah, you know, we'll see how that goes. He's been my first touchdown guy over the past two years, so hopefully he can come through in the biggest possible spot for me. That would be nice. It would be. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebooks at the PME. Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast if you want to get into a draw for 100 DK dollars. Then. You leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something you like about the show, boom, you're in that draw. You want to get into a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars? Smash the like button for the video. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me who are you using as your captain in your DraftKings showdown lineup plus at dailyroad.com. The PME will get you 10% off. So I highly recommend you check that out. Like Ruby said, if you're playing second half or fourth quarter showdown, even more valuable 
than the regular content in the regular content and projections and optimizer. Pretty valuable, not gonna lie. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. Good luck. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.